All right, so if you haven't noticed yet, it's a bit of a wild theme this year, this week. Our theme for the entire week, as you can see up there, is life is wild, but God is good. How many of you would agree that life can get wild sometimes? But also, how many of you can agree that God is still good? There it is. All right, so this week, we are going to be following the Israelites as they travel through the, through the wilderness and learning how God is faithful no matter what, no matter what situation they get in, no matter what terrain they're crossing, through it all, that God is still good. But before we get started, I have a question for you. How many of you have ever been lost? We actually asked this question to our kids a couple weeks ago, and we had a good giggle about it. We had a couple kids. Because we know they all turned out safe, we could laugh about it. We had one who said, I was walking in the, at the mall, and I was telling a story and just talking and walking, and then finally I looked up and no one was around me. She was so invested in her story that she just kept on going. And then another one, they were at Hershey Park, and she was probably talking with mom, and then she grabbed a stroller, as she was probably told to do, but it wasn't her stroller. So she's walking with someone else. Mom saw the whole thing happen, and it was okay. <laughs> we also had one where kids like to hide in the clothing racks, even though I think that they're told not to. And then mom walked away, and then they popped out, and mom wasn't there. So I can only imagine the panic on the kids when they realized mom wasn't there. Or in the grocery store where mom's not, or dad's not in the aisle that you expected them to be in. Or maybe parents, you're on the other end of that, that your kid walked away with someone else. I don't know if that's ever happened to people. But, or maybe more applicable, have you gotten lost while driving? Taken a wrong turn. Probably before GPS and smartphones and everything that rerouted you, it was a little, it was easier to get lost. I remember I got lost a couple times. Navigation took me the wrong way. Roads were closed. You can't find your way. It can get a little stressful. The next thing is, have you ever gotten lost in the wilderness, in the wild somewhere? Do you think that you could survive? (laughs) A lot of people said, no, I'm in the same boat. I don't think that I could survive if I was lost in the wild. But today we are going to talk about how to survive in the wild. Maybe some tips to, if we ever get stranded somewhere or out in the middle of nowhere, some tips that we can learn. And we're going to look at a man by the name of Moses, that God used him. And he had some really important survival skills to rescue the Israelites out of some wild situations as he just led them. And so I'm going to invite Miss Day back up and she's going to get us started. Well, I'll pick right up where you left off, talking about a man named Moses and how he survived. But his story of survival actually starts when he was a baby. And so we're going to talk about his mom a little bit in this story. And so our text today, I'm going to start in Exodus uh, chapter 1, verse 22. Um, I think we're going to put that up there so you guys can follow along. But if not, there are Bibles under the seats there. It says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now you guys in Kids Church, you've heard us talk about Pharaoh. He was a ruler, and he was a wicked ruler. So this is a terrible, terrible idea, a terrible rule that he made, that every Hebrew boy has to be thrown into the Nile. Well, You guys know babies can't swim, right? So you can figure out what that means. That's a terrible idea. It's a terrible rule. But then jump forward to Exodus 2, 
Verse 1, it says, A woman, her name is Jochebed, married a Levite and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, Macy was peeking at my notes yesterday, and she said, I always wondered, what does that mean? Like, he was a fine child, so she hid him. Does that mean if he wasn't a fine child, she would not have hit him? So I want to explain to you what that means. He was a fine child actually translates in Hebrew to she saw he was good. Now here's where we find God in the story. Granted, he was born from a priestly family. He was from the Levite tribe, the tribe of the Levites. But in Genesis, we hear seven times God saying I see it was good. God saw that it was good. Every time he created something, it was good. But now, here we are in Exodus, and up until this point, we don't even hear God's name mentioned at all, except for when they refer to the the midwives and they say that they feared God. But he's not anywhere else in this story. So Jochebed knew that this child was special. He was anointed. This was a time of rising oppression for the Israelites. Baby boys are being thrown into the Nile. People are enslaved And this phrase reminds us of God's word at creation. He saw that it was good. And now here's this child, and he's good. Something special has been created here. It's a moment that gives hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today, hope. So she hid him for three months. Now, can you imagine how difficult it would be to hide a newborn baby for three months? Raise your hand if you've ever had a newborn baby in your home. Maybe you're babysitting, or maybe you've had your own child. They are loud, right? They are noisy. They are noisy when they're hungry. They are noisy when they're tired. They are noisy when they need their diaper changed. They are noisy. So I can't even imagine how it would be to hide a newborn baby and keep him a secret for three months. And Exodus 2.3 says, when she could hide him no longer, we all knew this was coming, right? She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So I have a basket here with me this morning, just for illustration. Probably didn't look like this, because I think it actually was able to be closed and opened, the one that we read about in this story. But this is just for illustration's sake. And so she takes this baby that she can hide no longer, and she puts her baby in this basket. And, and this, it's this... It signifies putting your hope in God. I mean, I can imagine her praying over this baby as she's putting him in this basket, praying, God, I don't know what else to do, but I know he's special. I know he's anointed. I've heard your voice. You spoke to me, and you told me, and he's good, and I know that, and so I have to trust that you have a plan for him. And so she puts this baby in the basket, and she puts her hope in the Lord, And the Bible says she places it in the reeds along the banks of the Nile. Now, when I was a kid, I sang songs about, you know, Moses floating down the the Nile. And I always thought about, what about crocodiles or alligators or whatever it is they have there? In the story, it actually says she put him in the reeds along the banks of the Nile. So I think she was a little more cautious than that. Another thing that I found interesting... The particular Hebrew word that's used for basket only occurs twice in the entire Bible. Here, basket, and the same word is used for the ark that Noah built. 
Both were coated with tar and pitch, and both represented vessels of hope. I thought that was really interesting. So Exodus 2.4 says his sister, Moses has a sister, Miriam stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. I can't even imagine that. Mom puts baby brother in a basket, puts him on the bank of the river. I would probably watch too. I would want to know what's going to happen. So she stands at a distance to see what's going to happen. It says Pharaoh's daughter, now Pharaoh's the ruler, the wicked ruler, remember, went down to the Nile to bathe, because they bathed in the river back then. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank, and she saw the basket among the reeds, and she asked her female slave to get it. And she opened it, and she saw the baby, and he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. And she said, this is one of the Hebrew babies. She knew, she recognized. Now here comes Miriam, the big sister. So Miriam rushes over, and she asks Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And so the girl went to get the baby's mother. Now this is like, Miriam deserves the best big sister award right here. She's attentive, she's responsible, she's quick thinking, she's smart. And so then jump down to verse nine. It says, Pharaoh's daughter told Jochebed, remember this is Moses' mom, take this baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you. I didn't get paid to nurse my babies. (laughs) I can't imagine Take this baby, your baby, to your house and nurse him and I'll pay you. And the Bible says she kept him until he was about three years old and then she took him to live at the palace. Jacobed never gave up hope. When everyone else was losing their children, newborn baby boys were dying and being thrown into the Nile, she put her hope in God. She hoped that he'd live She knew God had a plan, but I bet in her wildest dreams, she never imagined that he'd be raised in a palace by Pharaoh's daughter, and she'd be put on Pharaoh's payroll to take care of her own baby. Talk about wild. She never gave up hope. And so I want you to remember today that even when you can't see a good outcome, even when things seem impossible, never give up hope. survive in the wild. There we go. Thank you, sir. The key to survival is this, stick together. Can we all say that? Stick together. Let me tell you a little bit more about the story of Moses. After he grew up, he lived, of course, in the palace, and he was raised like one of uh, Pharaoh's uh, kids or grandkids. When he got older, he saw the oppression against the Hebrew people, and he made up his mind that he was going to do something about it. And the Bible says that one day he went out and he saw an Egyptian who was being cruel to the Israelites, the Hebrew people. And so after everybody left and he felt like nobody was watching, Moses actually went and killed the Egyptian and he buried him in the sand. Yeah, so Scarface Moses comes back and he thinks nobody knows what he's done. And then the next day he goes out and he sees two of the Israelites and they're fighting with each other. 
And so he tries to break it up, and one of them turns to him and says, who made you the ruler of us? What are you going to do? Are you going to kill one of us now too? And Moses realized in that moment, like, oh my gosh, somebody knows what I did. They found me out. And they did find him out, and they didn't trust him because, after all, they didn't know about God's plan for his life, and he was living in the lap of luxury in Pharaoh's palace, and so Pharaoh found out about it. And the Bible says Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. So here he is, a young man, and he runs for his life into the wild all by himself. How many of you know it's hard to survive in the wild all by yourself? That's the reality for Moses. He's out on his own. In fact, the Bible talks in Ecclesiastes about trying to survive on your own, and it's not a good idea. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the Bible says this in verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. We experienced that this week. As we had many volunteers come to to set all this up this week, I can promise you two are better than one. And you know what else? 35 are better than two. And 40 is even better. We had a lot of people, and many hands make light work. And that's what this uh, proverb is telling us in Ecclesiastes, that, that two are better than one. But in the next three verses, it goes on to talk about some other reasons why. Not only do they get a good return on their labor, but if one of them falls in a pit, the other one can help them out. It goes on to say, if one of them is cold, by themselves they would freeze, but two can keep each other warm at night. And then it says, if one is attacked, they might be defenseless by themselves, but with two, you can defend yourself. And so it's hard to survive alone, but the the emphasis here is stick together, because together you can survive better. And thinking about those scriptures made me think of a story I read recently about two sisters. I want to show you their pictures. This is Caroline and Leah. Caroline is five years old, and Leah is eight. Anybody eight or younger in here? Anybody eight years old or younger? Yeah. All right. Imagine this. These two girls, back in March of this year, they wanted to go on a hike. And they were all packed up, and they were excited. They were ready to go into the woods behind their house in Northern California. But mom wasn't quite ready. And Misty told her daughter, she said, girls, I want you to just stay and play in the backyard. I got a few chores I got to finish before we can go. But guess what? Leah and Caroline didn't wait. They went on this hike into the woods all by themselves. And I'm sure you can guess what happened. They got lost. Not just for like a few minutes. Not just for a few hours. They got lost in the woods for 44 hours. From Friday morning till Sunday. They didn't know where the girls were. Everyone was looking. There were search parties. There were dogs that were trying to sniff their clothes and and catch their scent. There were helicopters flying overhead. Everyone was trying to find these two girls who had ventured off into the woods all by themselves, eight and five years old. Now, they got out there, and after a little while, they realized they were lost because they had hiked these trails before, and and they were somewhere they'd never seen before. And they could have, in that moment, done something that a lot of people would do. They could have said, hey, you go this way, and I'll go that way, and we'll double our odds of finding help. But how many of you know that would have been a terrible idea? If they would have split up, they might not have survived. 
But they did something really smart. Caroline and Leah decided to stick together. They stayed together. And it's a good thing they did because Caroline was the only one that had a rain jacket. And up in the northwest, they get a lot of rain. And the temperatures drop into the low 40s on this very weekend. And so instead of going their separate ways, the two girls, they stuck together. And they took Caroline's rain jacket, and one of them got one sleeve, and the other got the other sleeve, and they hugged real close because one can't stay warm alone, but two together can. And they pulled that hood up over their head, and they kept each other dry, even when the temperatures almost got down into the 30s. Now, listen, when it comes to survival in the wild of life, our life, I'm not talking about getting lost in the woods. I'm talking about going through difficult situations in life when you feel like you're lost. Can I just encourage all of us today to remember something that God has put us in a family too? That that God has put us in a family, and that family is called the church. And, and The worst thing that you could do when you feel lost, the worst thing that you could do when you feel like you're going through a difficult situation is to to go off on your own, to say, you know what, I'm going to figure this out, and I'll come back when when I know where I'm at. I'll come back when I know where I'm headed. I'll come back when I know what's happening in my life. That's the worst thing you can do. When God's plan was to put you in a family so that you could stick together, two things that you cannot forget to do. Number one, never give up hope, but secondly, stick Together. When you think about Moses, and let's go back to his story for a minute. Moses goes out into the wilderness all by himself. He's trying to survive. He's, he's in a desert area. It's hot. He's thirsty. Finally, he sees a well. And he's so thirsty. And he just goes to that well and he just collapses. And while he's there, the Bible says there were seven sisters that also came to the well. And they came to get water. So here's Moses. He's, he's half dead from traveling all by himself in the wilderness. And then these seven sisters come, and the Bible says some shepherds showed up. And you know what they did? They just ran the girls off. They chased them away. They didn't want to wait their turn. They didn't want to share the water. They just chased them away. Now, now what do you think Moses did when he saw that? Well, I'll tell you what he could have done. He could have said, well, that's unfortunate. I got, I got my own problems. I got, I got too much I'm dealing with. You know, it's, those guys are, are, they look like some bad dudes. I'm going to stay out of their way. I'm just going to drink my water. I'm going to get refreshed, and I'm going to go on my way. But that's not what he did. I want you to look at this in Exodus chapter 2, verse 17. It says, some shepherds came along, and they drove the girls away. But Moses got up, and he came to their rescue, and he watered their flock. Think about how significant this is. He, he didn't just get up and, and rescue them. He actually served them. Now, I, I've been in difficult situations before. I know it's human nature. We all feel this way. When you're going through a tough time, the temptation is to just become uh, self-absorbed. The temptation is to just think about yourself, to have your own pity party, to think about your own problems, and Moses could have done that. But in this moment, the Bible says he rose up, he rescued them, and he served them water. He watered all their flocks that they were taking care of. I'm going to tell you why that's so important. Because out of those seven sisters, one of those girls was named Zipporah. 
and she became Moses' wife. Not only that, but their dad, his name was Jethro. And if you're familiar with the story of God leading the people of Israel, then you know that Jethro became a mentor to Moses. While he's out there on his own in the wilderness, because instead of being isolated and staying to himself, he chose in that season of going through wild stuff to serve, to stick with others, to to not live all to himself, but to help other people in their point of need. God not only blessed him with a wife, God blessed him with a mentor. He, He never had a dad before. He grew up in Pharaoh's house. He didn't know what a godly man looked like, but God brought him into the home of Jethro, and Jethro taught him how to shepherd sheep. And then down the road, Jethro became his mentor and his advisor, and he coached him on how to shepherd a nation. Why? Because he chose to stick together. Because he chose to invest his life in other people and not just live to himself. Listen, if you're going to survive in the wild, whatever the wild is that you're facing, first of all, you got to never give up hope. You got to understand that God always has a way, even when there seems to be no way. And secondly, you got to stick together. The enemy, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Have you ever watched the Discovery Channel? You ever watched Animal Planet? You know which one they devour? The slow one. The one that wandered off, the little one, the weak one, the one that's by themselves. That's why you see all them wildebeest gathering in packs and herds because there's strength in numbers and you're less likely to be devoured when you stick together. So we got to learn to stick together. Now, let me tell you the the third and final point that we're going to make today on how to survive in the wild of life. Yes, you got to never give up hope. Yes, you have to stick together. But thirdly, you got to use what you have. Can we all just say that together? Use what you have. As I was reading that story of Caroline and Leah, they did that very same thing. Put that other picture up of the girls. They got lost in the the woods, and they used what they had. Now, would have been awesome if they had a cell phone. Could have called for help. Would have been great if they had a pizza. They could have shared that weekend. But they didn't have that. But what they did have was Caroline's jacket. And so they used that jacket to keep themselves warm. But they also had some information. They had actually taken a class with their 4-H club not too long before this, and it was a class on wilderness education. Of all things, eight and five years old, with their 4-H club, they took a class on wilderness education, and they learned something very, very important, and that was this. If you ever get lost, don't keep going. How many of you know that we should apply that to our lives? Some of us, you know, we just, we make it worse. Stop. If you know you're lost, stop going in the wrong direction, and stay put, and wait for help, and that's what they did. They also learned in that class that they should look for a low tree or a small bush that they can get up under to stay dry and to make yourself as small as possible, to to hide yourself and to save yourself from predators. These woods that these girls were in up in Northern California are known to have mountain lions and bobcats and bears. Lions and bobcats and bears. Oh my, lions, you get it, right? So this, this is their reality. But they had some information. 
So they found what the girls called their huckleberry home, a little huckleberry bush, and they, they crawled up under it, and they each got one arm in the sleeve of that jacket, and they covered up and they protected themselves. Why? Because two can defend themselves, because two together can stay warm. And all through that first night, they sang songs and they kept each other company and they called out for help. And then the next day, they had learned in that wilderness survival class that if you drink water from a stream, you might get sick. So you should drink the water that collects on leaves. Eight and five years old. And these girls are, are getting water out of the leaves from their little huckleberry home. And they're, they're drinking water. And they're telling each other stories. And they're staying put until help comes. And the girls later said, we knew eventually dad would find us. Wow. That's the hope that we have when we're lost. That, that if, we'll, if we'll just never let go of hope, if we'll just stick together as the body of Christ, and if we'll use what we have, we know somehow, some way, dad's going to find us. Our father is going to find us when life gets wild. The good thing is God has given you every resource you need to make it through. It doesn't always look like it. You might not have the resources you want, but God has given you every resource that you need. Let's go back to Moses one more time. After 40 years living out there in the wilderness and learning from Jethro and, and learning how to shepherd and how to be a, a godly husband and a, a godly father to the children that God blessed him with, all of a sudden, Moses has an encounter with God. In a burning bush, God speaks to him and he tells Moses, I want to deliver the Hebrew people out of bondage in Egypt. Look at this verse with me in Exodus chapter 3. Verse 10 says this. It says, God said, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And right away, you know what Moses did? He started feeling inadequate. Right away, he started making excuses. You can read chapter 3 on your own time. It's a long list of God. I, I don't, I, I'm not qualified. Moses says, I, I don't have the tools to lead the people. Moses says, they're going to ask me questions about you that I can't answer. Get somebody that knows you better. You ever said that before? God, what am I going to do if I, if I go and the people don't believe me? And on and on and on through chapter 3, Moses makes excuses. But then in chapter 4, verse 2, God says something that is so important. We all need to hear this verse today. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. What is that in your hand? He said, now, why is that significant? I'll tell you why it's significant. Imagine how discouraging it would be if, the Lord, if it said, then the Lord said to him, you should have brought more supplies. Right? Like, thank you, Lord, for pointing out the obvious. I'm not equipped for this. I mean, aren't you glad that, that God didn't look at him in that moment? Then the Lord said to him, you should have married into another family. <laughs> you should have made more money. You know, but that's what we do, right? We think in the middle of, of our lostness, in the middle of difficulty, that, that God's looking down on us in judgment, and he's going, you should have turned left. And I'm going, I, I can't do anything about the fact that I'm here, and I don't know where here is, but it's not where I'm supposed to be. 
I'm lost in this moment. But God doesn't do any of those things. God looks at him, and he looks at the resources that he has. It ain't much, but it's a stick. And it's the same stick that he's been using for the last 40 years as he's learned how to lead sheep. And what God was saying to Moses in that moment and what he's saying to us is that you have every resource you need to do what I'm calling you to do. What's in your hand? Not what don't you have, not what's in somebody else's hand, not what could somebody else do better than me, somebody older than me, somebody younger than me. What do you have in your hand? And we have to learn if we're going to survive in the wild and we're going to fulfill the purpose that God has for our lives, we have to learn to use what we have in your hand. And so speaking of things in your hand, Steph's got something that she's going to bring up, she's had in her hand. And I wanted to tell you about it. That's right. I have something here. I don't know if you all can see it. Can anyone tell in the front row what this might be? Maybe in the very front row? What did you say? A compass. That's right. So how many of you have ever used a compass before? Yeah, as we were talking about um, the wild and outdoors, I, I, I like to go outside. I like to hike a little bit, go camping every now and then. And so it made me think about these these trips that I would be on. And you have to prepare for them. You just don't decide to just go one day like this. You don't go out on a hike in your flip-flops and the terrain and all this stuff. But it made me think that you need to like think through your footwear. You need to think through food and water and maybe a tent if you're sleeping over. So all these things you need to take into consideration. One thing that I never take with me is a compass because I am very directionally challenged. I know that it's gonna tell me where north is but I don't know what's north. Like I need to go to, to the store. I don't know if that's south or not. I don't know where it is. So <laughs> it really doesn't make any sense, but it got me thinking, thinking about this tool and why people do it. And um, it's actually a pretty simple concept that the compass doesn't point you in the direction you're going, but it actually always points to north. And so it has a magnetic needle in the middle of it and it gravitates and aligns with the earth magnetic force. The earth is a big magnet. And so it always points to north, which turns out to be like the North Pole, North Canada area. And so no matter which way you're going, I can turn around and it's still going to show me where north is. Most phones, at least the iPhones, have a compass on it, which I feel like some kids just play with. I know I've, oh, it needs to calibrate. It's fascinating to watch. Just think you can trick it, but you can't. But it's funny how thinking about the compass and how I've never applied it to my life until yesterday we decided to go on a hike. We're like, we found our path. We found like, they're all blazed with the colored trails that you need to follow. We're like, it's just going to be like a two mile in. We're going to come back out. It's going to be fine. We're going to, we hit our destination. So we're walking. We're like, it's a short one. We're just going to leave our phones in the car. We grabbed our water and we're on our way. The trail was not what we expected. Overgrown, we had to like cut through some like the thickets and overgrown plants. There was like direct sunlight at some point. We weren't even on a path. It was like a grass field that we're walking through at one point. And then we get to the point where we're almost to the spot where we're going to turn around and head back. We had some pretty good ups and downs, and I'm getting tired at this point. But we see a sign that says, continue another mile and you get to the flat rail trail. And so we had a decision we had to make. We're like, we can either keep going a little further to have a flat route, or we can go back the way that we came. Like, and that one was pretty tricky. We're tired, we're 
throw most of our water at this point because it was hot yesterday. So we decide to keep going. And we're walking, and we keep walking. We're following our blue blaze. And then we get to a point where it's like an open field with these beautiful wildflowers. And the blue blaze stops. We're like, now what do we do? Well, we're almost a mile past where we wanted to go. Do we decide to turn back around? And at that point, we couldn't even figure out where the river was. We got so turned around. Like, we were there, but where, how do we get here? We had no idea. So we went to one roof. We saw, like, red blaze and purples and blacks. No blue. One says overlook, but you don't do an overlook and get out of a trail. Like, it doesn't happen that way. Like, that doesn't happen. And so we went one way, hit a dead end. We went another way, and it looped us around, and we see a house. Now, I'm an Enneagram number six for any of you who follow that, so I think of the worst-case scenarios that could happen. And so I'm, my mind was going. I kept them quiet because that's I know better than that. And then finally, we're like, okay, if it's an overlook, that means we get to see where the river is. As we're standing in the course of the thing, if we had our compass, we would be able to know which direction we need to go. But who uses a compass? It's a good tool to have to, from the beginning. But we ended up going towards an overlook. We never found an overlook, but we found a blue blaze. We figured if you walked the direction of where you think the water is going to be, where the direction that you need to get to, based on what your north might be, you're going to find it. And then as we're in the middle of a big open field, God started to speak. He tends to do that. And so he reminded me that we're gonna hit rocky times. We're gonna hit times where we feel lost. We may hit times when we physically are lost, but he never leaves us. And so if we focus on him, he is our true north. Like there's nothing that can take that place. If we're gonna survive in the wild of life, Jesus has to be our, our point of reference. We have to focus on where we are going and focus on him. We can turn directions. We can go different ways, but it's still going to navigate us back to him that we need to focus on it. We can be on that wild trail of life knowing or thinking we're on the right path. And then something, something hits. You lose, you lose your blaze. What do you do? Where are you going to go? But if we have our spiritual compass tuned to where Jesus is, who's our true north, He'll navigate us through those pivotal turns and those moments that are very critical. I'm going to leave you with this verse in John 14, chapter 6. And it said, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. So we're going to do something here at the end of the service. We're going to take some time to pray together. I, I don't know what kind of wild stuff is going on in your life. Uh, I've heard it said that, you know, you're, you're, either, uh, you're either in a storm or you're coming out of one or hold on because you're probably about to go into one. And I know that's a pretty pessimistic thought, but the reality is if, if you've lived for any length of time, you know that's, that's kind of true. And Jesus didn't shy away from that reality that we live in a fallen world, that we go through difficult things. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Thankfully, that wasn't all he said about it. He said after that, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. It was almost another way of Jesus saying, you're going to get lost, you're going to get confused, but I'm true north. Like, you might not know which direction you're facing, but I know which direction I'm facing. And that's what that verse that Steph just read to us means. When Jesus said, I'm the way I'm the truth, I'm the life. He was saying, I, I am true north. 
And so you, you don't have to have everything figured out. You have to have me. You have to have a compass in your heart that points you in the direction that you're supposed to be going. And so whatever you might be facing, I just want to challenge you one more time at the end of this service. Let's look to Jesus. He is true north. And so I I want to invite you, if you'd stand with me all over this room, and our worship team, if you'd come back. They're going to sing this song one more time that we sang earlier that just declares the goodness of God for our lives. And and we're going to to take a few moments and we're going to pray. I'm going to open these altars, and if you want to come and you want to pray, adults, kids, anyone, isn't it awesome to see that the Word of God is applicable to everyone's life? Come on, hasn't this truth just blessed your life today, regardless of how old or how young you are? God's speaking a word to some of us today, and the word is simply this. Never give up hope. Never give up hope. It's like that that basket, that Hebrew word that means the same as the ark. It's It's a vessel of hope. Both of those are pictures of Jesus. He's our hope. You know, the Navy SEALs, they they have this rule of threes. Maybe you've heard it before. And the rule is that you can last 30 days without food, or three weeks, rather, without food, and, and three days without water, and three hours without shelter in extreme circumstances. But you can't last three seconds without hope. We gotta have hope. For some of you, that's your word today. Just, God, give me childlike faith. Maybe that's why you needed to be in a family service. Give me childlike faith to just believe again, to never give up hope. And for some of you, it's stick together. Stick together. The enemy works in isolation. God works in insulation. He wants to surround you with the body of Christ. For some of us today, it's just simply this question, what do you have in your hand? Use what you have. Quit making excuses about what you don't have or what you can't do. When God's looking at you, he's giving you his spirit. Come on, that's enough. He's giving you the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. It dwells in you. Use what you have. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to pray at the altar.